Before we get started with today's show, I'm here to tell you about Brez Coffee Company, made by gamers for gamers right here on the Gulf Coast in Pensacola, Florida. Do you like lighter medium roast? Then try the Necro Medium, Holy Grail Light, or Stamina Boost. Or if you're like me and prefer darker roast, try the Critical Dark or the Coup Slayer Mocha Roast. But what if you can't pick just one? Then try one of their specialty sample packs, perfect for an all-night gaming or in the case of my fellow filmmakers, an all-night editing session. Forget about all the crappy coffee you've been buying at the grocery store and head on over to brezcoffeeco.com. Use the promo code DDE at checkout to get 10% off your order. Have you ever thought to yourself after listening to this podcast, why didn't Derek ask this question? Or why didn't he ask that question? I know I certainly have. Well, you get the chance to do that if you sign up for my Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. You get the chance to ask guests of the show a question. If you're a fan of the top five list, you get the chance to vote on what the topic will be. You also get early access to episodes, accessibility to my film scripts, and so much more. And you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And we want to thank our patrons, Tim Spivey and Shannon Williams. Thanks so much for your continued contributions. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and it's good to be back here doing the podcast. I know I haven't released a traditional episode uh, in the last couple of weeks. It's been very, very busy, to say the least, with my day job with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. Long story short, I've been working pretty much every day for a month straight with very little time off uh, due to uh, my boss getting COVID. Uh, So I had to work the homestand in late July on my own. Uh, When I say on my own, I mean, I still had, you know, my game day staff come in and help me work the actual games. But as far as the prep goes, had to do everything on my own. Then the week after I had to go up to Beloit, Wisconsin to help out the Beloit Snappers team with their opening day in their new stadium was up there for a week, came home, recouped for a couple of days, and then just finished working 12 straight home games. Well, 12 games in 13 days. We had a off day on a Monday. But either way, I've been working quite a bit. And as a result of that, didn't have anything in the can or anything to release. So I uh, haven't really released an episode in the last couple of weeks. So I do hope everyone uh, enjoyed the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles watch along that I released last week in place of a traditional episode. Uh, if you want to hear more, I'll be doing those every month. You can head over to Patreon and sign up for your chance to vote on what watch along I do, as well as the top five list, which is making its return today. Uh, head over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast, and you can vote on top five list, watch alongs, other show topics, so on and so forth. Really fun community we've got uh, building up over there, so definitely go check that out. But as far as things go with the show, um, should be back, you know, rocking and rolling here. Uh, from here on out, I've as I'm recording this, uh, I'm got a ton of interviews planned over this week, and you'll be hearing those over the course of the next several weeks. Uh, one that I'm really excited for you all to hear is with Seamus Tierney, cinematographer uh, for the Mighty Ducks Game Changers Disney Plus series that recently aired a few months ago. I'll also be speaking with Tony Armour, the film commissioner of uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, That'll be a really fun and informative chat as well, as well as my conversation today with actress Sarah Randall Hunt, who will be talking about the premiere of her web series, Stupid Cupid, that will actually be premiering at a festival this weekend. But before we get to that, it's the return of the top five list. You all know, longtime listeners of the show know that I love doing the top five list uh, every month, and the Patreon supporters picked another good one. And it's funny because I feel like every month I say, well, this list was really hard to do. You know, it was way harder than I thought it was going to be. This one was no exception, but this one in particular 
got uh, quite a few comments from uh, the Facebook voters and uh, they said, oh, well, this was the hardest list that, you know, you've you've ever done. And it's definitely up there. I don't know if I would personally call it the hardest list because I knew my five pretty much right off the bat. But what we're doing is top five movies of the 2000s. And I forgot really just how many good movies were released in that time frame. And I also had quite a few life changes that happened through the 2000s. You know, when in 2000, I was a freshman in high school, graduated in 04, graduated college in 08. So a lot of big life transitions in the 2000s for me. But one thing that didn't change was my love of film. And if anything, it evolved because I was getting older and started taking production classes in college and everything. So this was the decade that I really started to look at movies in a new light, you know, kind of dissecting them on more of a professional level as opposed to just going in as a fan and enjoying them and be like, oh, this movie was good or this movie wasn't so good. So 2000s were a, a big decade for yours truly when it comes to film. But for those who have never heard the top five list before, this is how it works. I list my top five movies from the 2000s. I'll throw in some honorable mentions as well, give an explanation as to why. And then I will read the listeners list that they listed over on my Facebook page, which you can find at facebook.com slash Podcast. Every month I'll post a, a graphic with what the top five is going to be. And then you all leave your list in the comments below and I will read them on the show. But my honorable mentions for the 2000s, uh, X2, AKA X-Men 2, very good movie. I consider it one of the best X-Men movies still to this day. I remember going to see this at the old University Mall Theater. This was a year before Hurricane Ivan hit and wrecked it beyond repair. This may have been the last movie that I saw in that theater, actually. I, I can't quite remember, though. But it took the foundation that was built in the original X-Men film and expanded upon it. You know, you introduced Nightcrawler. You delve more into the relationship between Charles and Eric. Uh, just, I love the evolution of all the characters, and the, the story was, was really good, too, in my opinion. So X2 is one of the best X-Men movies ever made, and it, it just missed the cut. This would have been probably number six if this were a top ten. Semi-Pro is another one with Will Ferrell, and you might be a little surprised that this is on my list, but the reason why is because if you want a accurate depiction of what goes on behind the scenes of minor league baseball, then check out semi-pro with all the wacky promotions and everything that they do. It's, it's pretty close to how things actually go. So a little, little bit of a sentimental pick for me, but um, yeah, I, I like semi-pro remember the Titans. One of my favorite sports movies of all time. Love Denzel Washington. I think the acting in this movie all around was really good and it was a it was the reason behind one of my favorite uh memes that I've ever seen and that is of Ryan Gosling from this movie and it says yeah Ryan Gosling might be a handsome man and all but let's not forget he was an absolute liability at cornerback uh Batman <laughs> Batman Begins is another one and people love the Dark Knight and praise it relentlessly and rightfully so it is a very very good movie and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But I also think Batman Begins doesn't get the credit that it quite deserves. Because you're talking about X2, it wouldn't have existed without the first movie. Whereas The Dark Knight would not have been the success it was unless you had Batman Begins preceding it. And Batman Begins was a great foundation. I loved the story of seeing... Bruce Wayne become Batman. I loved Liam Neeson as Ra's al Ghul. You know, building that that Nolan verse world of Gotham and all the iconic Batman characters and everything. I I loved it. I 
the Dark Knight is my favorite of that trilogy, but Batman Begins is is a close second. And I, I don't hate Dark Knight Rises like a lot of other people do. It's still my least favorite of the trilogy, but Batman Begins is so freaking good. I need to go back and watch that again soon, actually. And my other is Clerks 2. I'm a huge fan of the original Clerks film. And I remember going back and watching it for the first time when it came out on DVD uh, for the 10-year the anniversary edition. And uh, seeing Jay and Silent Bob before then, then going back and watching Clerks, really built my love for that, that Kevin Smith Viewisk universe. So the fact that he was able to go back and revisit that world again with Clerks 2 and building upon it, Made for some really funny moments and seeing, you know, the, um, I believe the, the way Kevin Smith phrased it was that Clerks was him, how he viewed life in his 20s. And then Clerks 2 was how he viewed it in his 30s. And you could also say 40s as well. And then you, you have Clerks 3 coming out, which is currently being worked on. And I, I can't. I can't wait for that movie, but Clerks 2, while not my favorite Kevin Smith film, is still good. I still enjoy it. Definitely go check it out if you haven't yet. But diving into the actual top five list, my number five is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, the first Harry Potter movie that I saw in theaters. And I remember reading the first Harry Potter book, and I liked it, but I didn't really feel the desire to keep reading the books. Then the movies came out, you know, in 2001 and 2002, I believe. And I didn't see them when they came out. But the trailer for Prisoner of Azkaban really intrigued me because it was starting to take the franchise down a darker path. You know, the kids were a little older and you could just feel the the tone from the trailer felt different than the first two movies. And my friend Jamie Hammond, who's a big Harry Potter fan, he was really wanting to go see Prisoner of Azkaban in theaters. But obviously I had to watch the first two. So I remember two days before we went to the theater, I watched the first movie. Then the next night I watched the second one. And then we went opening night. I I love the serious black character. I like, you know, seeing Professor Lupin. I liked... Uh, Snape's involvement as well. Um, he's my favorite character in the Harry Potter universe. Part of it is because of his portrayal by the late great Alan Rickman. But I, I just I, I loved how it was the start of taking that franchise down to me what was a better path. So Prisoner of Azkaban will always hold a, a special place for me. My number four is Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, of course, starring Will Ferrell as news anchor Ron Burgundy. I didn't see this movie in theaters when it came out. It came out in 2004, and I had heard a little bit about it, but not to the degree that it became. You know, when it came out on DVD, that was when it really took off from what I can remember. And I remember the first time watching this movie, there were moments that happened that I was laughing so hard that I couldn't breathe. You know, the, like the Sex Panther comments and the don't act like you're not impressed. Milk was a bad choice. Just the, the endless amount of quotes that are from this movie is just amazing. And the fact that it's still quotable to this day, I think really cements it as one of the more iconic comedy films of, you know, of, of that generation. And Will Ferrell, that to me was peak Will Ferrell was Ron Burgundy. And I, I haven't seen a lot of his newer material, even though I've heard it's not very good. It seems like his career has kind of gone the way of Adam Sandler. You know, he had his movies like Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, Waterboy, that were just huge successes, and then things just kind of took a nosedive after that. And it seems like the same things happened with Will Ferrell, but that doesn't take away from, you know, the the greatness that he 
uh, David Koechner, Paul Rudd, and Steve Carell, as all the news anchors did. And I'll I'll throw Christina Applegate in there as well. I thought she was great as Veronica Corningstone, but that that movie is just so quotable and so funny. You know, from things like the the fights with all the news anchors and the and the lot and everything. It's just it's so wacky and over the top, but it's great. I I love Anchorman. It's one of my favorite comedies of all time. My number three is the original Iron Man, released in 2008. Despite the fact that there have been so many good movies from the MCU, from Infinity War to Endgame to Thor Ragnarok, I keep going back to the original Iron Man. I think it's great as a standalone movie, while also launching what has been the wildest and one of the best success stories in the history of filmmaking. The fact that Marvel took the episodic approach with movies and it all started with this one and it's still, it's still up there. Like if I were to do a top five and I'm sure I've done this list before, but top five movies from the MCU, it's, it's up there. Like it's, it's not just a great foundation for the MCU, but it's just a great movie all on its own. You know, I've, I've found myself every like couple of weeks, just putting it on as background noise, just to listen to the greatness of Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Tony Stark. And, you know, I think Stanley even said it himself, Robert Downey Jr. was born to play Tony Stark. Like to me, they are one and the same person and nothing can change my mind about that. But my number two is The Dark Knight. I mentioned Batman Begins before, but, you know, The the Dark Knight to me is one of very few comic book movies that transcend its genre. This and to me, Logan would be the two that I think of that are bigger than their genre. The Dark Knight is more than just an adaptation of Batman. It's a great you know, crime drama. It feels like a crime drama type of film. You took everything from Batman Begins, you throw in Heath Ledger, who to me is still the best live action Joker that's ever been seen on screen. Nothing against Joaquin Phoenix, but we didn't see him interact with Batman. Kind of, but you know what I mean. Seeing Heath Ledger just transform himself into this character and put a darker twist on it was just amazing to watch on screen. And you throw in Gary Oldman, you throw in Michael Caine, Christian Bale. I I loved Aaron Eckhart as as Harvey Dent, who becomes Two-Face. And I, I was actually a little upset that they killed him off so quickly. Story-wise, it made sense where they went with it. But I just... I didn't I didn't particularly like that, but it's it's tough to say that the Dark Knight is not a perfect movie. It's got the story, it's got the acting, it's got everything that you would want in a great movie. It looks great visually. Hans Zimmer knocks it out of the park with the score. It, it's just I can't really find too many flaws with it. And you might be surprised that it's not my number one, but my number one has a little bit more of a sentimental reason to it. And that would be Spider-Man 2, released in the summer of 2004. I, growing up, I was a big fan of Spider-Man. You know, I remember rushing home to watch the Spider-Man cartoon that would air on Fox on weekdays. And just, I loved that character. I liked that, yeah, he had superpowers, but he was also younger and he had his own problems that he had to deal with. Yeah, he was saving the world and fighting bad guys, but he also had to worry about things like taking care of his elderly aunt, paying the bills, finding a job. And I thought that was conveyed pretty well in the original Tobey Maguire movie. Well, then you bring in Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, and he just, the way he portrayed 
Otto Octavius to me was was perfect. And there's a reason why that role has not been recast and now the third generation of live action Spider-Man. Now, I don't want to really get into the the rumor and innuendo from No Way Home. We'll save that for another episode. But I just and I think one reason why I like Spider-Man 2 as well is that you know, we had already seen the origin of Spider-Man. So we didn't have to sit through that. He's already got the powers and everything. You build on the relationship with Mary Jane with Harry, you know, his resentment for Spider-Man and wanting to see him killed and that would eventually carry over into the third movie. I don't know, I just to me when I was watching Spider-Man 2, I felt like I was watching the cartoon series come to life. And that to me made me feel like I was sitting at my grandparents' house again watching the cartoon when I would you know, get off the bus after school. I'd run run inside to watch cartoons. So it took me back to those specific memories. But, you know, a little sentimental, but that's it's my list and that's my number one. But moving on to everyone else's list and thank you all for sending these in. Uh, we're going to kick things off with Mr. Carlos Longoria. Number five, Saw. I haven't seen those movies yet. Four, Taken. Very good one with Liam Neeson. Uh, number three is Unbreakable. I still think Unbreakable is probably Shyamalan's best movie. Uh, still to this day. You know, like Sixth Sense was great because of the, the plot twist at the end. Uh, he's made others that are pretty good, but... Unbreakable is the one that I that I keep going to. Number two, X-Men. And number one, Training Day. I, I dig that choice. He said, so many to choose from, but these are some of the most memorable to me. Wally Phelps, the official fact checker over on the Nerd Cave Retro Show. He throws in, Lord, this was harder than anticipated. His number five, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Number four, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. That's another good one. That's... That movie is still by far and away the best of that series, and it's not even close to me. Number three, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Number two, Spider-Man 2. And number one, The Dark Knight. Tim Spivey, his honorable mentions, Inglorious Bastards, American Psycho, The Departed, Unbreakable, and Memento. Departed and Memento are two underrated movies in my opinion. Number five, Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind. Number four, Training Day. Number three, Gladiator. Are you not entertained? Number two, V for Vendetta, another underrated movie. And number one, The Dark Knight. Thomas Carter Rochester, you can check out his Lights Thunder action podcast that he does. Very good show. Uh, oh man, I can't even put together a top list with all the movies I love from this decade. Uh, he, edits, he edits this in later, but his number one is Revenge of the Sith. Uh, off the top of his head, Inception, Anchorman, The Other Guys, Step Brothers, Pineapple Express, Polar Express, Elf, The Prestige, Iron Man, Spider-Man 2, The Dark Knight, Inglorious Bastards, The Departed, Hot Rod, Ultimate Punch, Talladega Nights, and Deja Vu. <laughs> and then he says, uh, edited even later because I can't stop. Tropic Thunder, The Notebook, Da Vinci Code, underrated movie as well, National Treasure, American Gangster, X-Men 1 and 2, Rush Hour 2 and 3, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Scooby-Doo, Law-Abiding Citizen, Fantastic Four, Watchmen, Iron Man, Eurotrip, Fanboys, Fanboys is a good one, I'm, I'm glad you put that on the list, Hangover, oh, I didn't even think about Zombieland. Yeah, Zombieland would, would be up there for me too. The Tigger movie, Transformers, District 9, Star Trek 2009, Signs, Dude Where's My Car, and Lilo and Stitch. Jason Robbins, thank you for that, Thomas. That was, I, I, I love the fact that you just went all out with the list. I, I dig it. Jason Robbins, my co-host over on the Nerd Cave Retro Show, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, The Dark Knight, Spider-Man 2, Iron Man 2, and X2. 
which I believe had the subtitle X-Men United that was added like two weeks before the movie came out. Jacob Craig, number five, Step Brothers. Four, Tropic Thunder. Three, Inglorious Bastards. Two, The Departed. And number one, The Dark Knight. Jonathan McIntosh, honorable mention, Love Actually. And in no particular order, Iron Man, Avatar, The Prestige, Napoleon Dynamite, and American Psycho. Christian Jones, number five, Iron Man, four, National Treasure, three, The Dark Knight, two, Remember the Titans, and number one, Return of the King. And he notes this was incredibly difficult. It's it's interesting that, that several of you have said that this was one of the harder lists to do. And also check out uh, Christian's show, The Fantastic People Podcast, which I was on uh, one of the first episodes of that, so... Uh, go check it out. It's a fun show. And last but not least, Mr. Brandon Rutledge. He says, I'm going to franchise rule myself for this list. Honorable mentions, almost all Harry Potter films released in the 2000s. Almost all Pixar films released in the 2000s. Shrek, Shrek 2, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Number five, Finding Nemo. Four, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Three, The Dark Knight. Two, The Last Samurai. And number one, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Good choice uh, for your number one, sir. But uh, yeah, really good list by everyone. I, I, This was more popular than I thought it was going to be. And I've got some really good ideas, I feel, for uh, next month's top five list uh, i know one that i'm going to post on the patreon one of the options will be top five nickelodeon cartoons we were having that discussion at work the other day i couldn't come up with my top five like there, there's so many that i enjoy like it would be extremely hard to do so uh we'll see if it wins it'll be up to the patreon subscribers to make that happen so if you want to vote on what the top five list will be as i mentioned and other exclusives as well Head on over to patreon.com slash Podcast. But coming up next on the show is my conversation with actress Sarah Randall Hunt, who is here to talk about her new web series, Stupid Cupid, which will actually premiere at, a, uh, at the Dances with Films Festival. So should be really fun. Uh, excited to watch it. Excited to have you guys hear my chat with her. So stick around for my awesome conversation with Sarah Randall Hunt. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. And this week I'm joined with actor, writer, singer. I don't know if there's anything that she can't do. Miss Sarah Randall Hunt. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Doing fantastic. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to to chat with me here on the show. And it's funny because we were talking about uh, Zoom recordings and how it has now that little you know weird voice like recording in progress or this conversation's being recorded. Yeah. So to, and you were talking about how it kind of you know clicks with you as an actor when you're doing auditions. So can you yeah. um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So there's a new thing with COVID. We have COVID auditions, which is very interesting because we're all doing everything's virtual. So um, <clears throat> when you're, um, you know, often you'll send in a self tape for the initial thing and then they'll have a call back and they want to talk to you and see that you're a real person and see you do it again and give you adjustments and things. And so sometimes they'll just start the recording at the beginning and go all the way through, but sometimes they'll start and stop and start and stop and start and stop. And so you're in the middle of getting ready for the scene and then they'll say recording in progress. And then you have to go over and you have to click and you have to be like, oh, okay. And then get back into what you were doing and then <laughs> start going again. It's almost like the action cue in a way. It's just <laughs> like, as soon as it said, you just blank slate and go. Yeah, but it's like if if the director's like action, and then you had to click something first before then you gotcha <laughs> forward. Yeah, so, almost. It, it's thrown me off too a little bit because it that voice wasn't there in the beginning whenever yeah. Zoom really became popular. So now whenever I do these interviews, the first time I remember clicking record and it said recording in progress, I'm like, who who said that? 
Who's, yeah. Who is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, talk to me a little bit about um, a little bit about your backstory and what made you want to get into the world of filmmaking, because uh, as I've learned, not everyone has a set path. There is no set path to get into the film and TV industry. Yeah. So w- what was it that that made you want to work in it? Is it something that you knew from an early age or was it something that you, you learned as you got older? Yeah, you know, it makes sense looking backwards that this is where I would have wound up. Um, but I started off initially only wanting to be an actor performer on stage. And so after college, I moved to New York and I was doing that whole thing. And then I started doing commercials and film and TV and um, really was loving it. And then just there was like an earthquake, a, 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 a nor'easter and um, was it a hurricane or a tornado or something like that, like all in one year in New York. And I went, let me just try out California. Let me see how that goes. And um, I think I'm, I'm done with the weather. So um, I gave LA a six month trial and then I never left. So um, in my time there, I had actually, um, during that transition, I had also started to flirt with film production. And I had done my first short the year after, like six months after I had moved. And I really just fell in love with it. I mean, I'd already been on sets and um, was really enjoying storytelling in that perspective. Um, and then, you know, I'm a Virgo, I'm very, <laughs> I like projects and emails and checklists and things like that. So it satisfies, like my mom's a, a, a teacher and my dad's an accountant. So it's like, that's the accountant side. And then like my creative actor person is like the the mom side. So. Um, the i found producing very satisfying and it's to me like hosting the best dinner party where i get to see all of the people who i admire and appreciate do the thing that makes them amazing um so yeah that was my first foray into producing and and then um you know my experience in film and television was growing here and then it brought me eventually to creating this web series which um we're going to talk about uh called stupid cupid and um and that was just out of an earnest, it felt like kind of um, like I wanted to contribute. I didn't just want to sit there waiting for the phone to ring or something. I wanted to be creating things that I wanted to see on TV that also I felt like were stories that weren't being told. No, that's fantastic. And it, it, it speaks volumes that, you know, in, in an industry that I don't want to say there's a lot of pressure, but in order for it to really work, you have to make it happen for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I can remember years ago, I wanted to make a short film. You know, I went to school for video broadcasting, more for the television side of things, but film was what I wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. And I had made this short with my friends back in 2008 when I got out of college. And I went back and watched it and thought, you know, well, if I were to do it now, I would do it differently. And then I thought mm-hmm. to myself, well, why don't I just go out and do it? So yeah. went out and made, you know, the right moves, casting, finding a crew and everything. And that's, that's really what you ultimately have to do if you want to really get your foot in the door is you have to create things, whether it's writing, if you want to act, you know, direct, whatever the case may be, you got to yeah. go out and actually make it happen. Well, and I, th- I think, you know, school and training can only teach you so much. And it's so interesting working with people who've had a very sort of uh, more traditional like navigation through like the studio system or like professional production. I think indie filmmaking teaches you so much about being resourceful and being creative problem solving. And, you know, when time is short and budgets are tight, it's like you got to really do the most with what you have. And I think it's a wonderful experiment. Um, I highly recommend anyone interested in entertainment. You know, I didn't go to school for producing or for filmmaking even. Um, And I um, think that, you know, I sort of say that my my films and my producing work that I've done on my own is sort of like my training. And um, on the job is the best way to learn. I couldn't agree more. You know, I've taken, writing classes i've taken you know <clears throat> classes in camera work lighting things like that but the best way to learn is to actually go out and do it because you get to watch people who are more experienced than you and you get to learn from them and kind of learn you know what 
what makes them tick and why they do things the way they do and how things should be done. So I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Practical application of all of the things that you read about, you know, it's good. That's good. So um, you mentioned that you had done stage work in the past. Is that something that you knew that you wanted to do from an early age? Yeah, that I was like, oh my gosh, I came out of the <laughs> womb singing a musical theater song. So, um, yes, I loved movie musicals when I was growing up. And I loved like, I love Lucy and all these classic, like my family, we'd watch a lot of classic television together. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I always wanted to be in entertainment. Um, I always wanted to be a performer. I was always very creative, but I think I kind of found my path as I was going along. Like I knew I wanted to be creative and artistic and things like that. And I kind of found my way um, high school and then college really defined my path forward. Do you think your stage work and knowing that you wanted to do that from an early age, do you think that helped get you to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I think I I will always be a theater dork at heart. And I have so much respect and love for that craft. And I think just the the storytelling and the relationship to a live audience is something that I think teaches you so much and it, you can't replicate that. Um, and so I think that having that real rich connection with live performance and understanding it, it, film and TV was an adjustment for me at first because it was like, you know, in a, in a play, you like rehearse, 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 and then you perform and then you have the, the interaction. And sometimes along the way, you'll get reactions from other people in the room about what's happening. So you're kind of gauging it, how it's going. Um, <clears throat> film and TV, you have your crew and your cast and everybody who's like, okay, this is how it's going. But then it's not until the thing premieres on a screen where you really see, well, you go through the editing process, but the interaction with the audience is sort of delayed. So that was an interesting um, switch over for me, but I really do think that um, there's a symbiotic, it's, they're both very valuable. The, the, my theater background, I think has been very helpful in me understanding storytelling and um, the communal aspect. I mean, that's the thing that I just keep trying to grow. I think, especially as an actor, it's very easy to kind of be very insular because you're something that goes from project to project, but I'm really looking to build a community of people who work together and create art together, kind of more like a, a troop of actors or, you know, a troop of theater performers. Well, I think that's why I'll always respect theater performers specifically. And then I'm not saying that to downplay what goes on with film and TV actors, but oh, I, I, com I compare it to working without a safety net when yeah. you're, when you're on stage, because there's no take two, like there's no cut. You read the script and then you do the line again. If mm -hmm. you're, if you make an accident or you make a flub with a line or whatever, it's almost like you have to make it part of the show. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, and the few acting classes that I've taken, I'm thinking there's no way I would ever be able to do something like that. So <laughs> I, I, I respect actors tremendously Aww. who do that because I, I can't imagine, you know, what would go through my mind if that happened. Yeah, I think I, I'm sort of an adrenaline junkie in a way. I mean, I love that. And also when like the mistakes happen, the most magical things happen too. It's like, it, you know, it's like the worst feeling ever. We're like, oh no, I dropped my line. But then what happens next is like the awesome, exciting thing that the audience is like, oh, what's that? So I totally get it. And it is crazy. <laughs> but, it's like but, the old Bob Ross quote. There are no mistakes, just happy accidents. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about, you mentioned working as a producer. Mm -hmm. What specifically made you want to venture into that aspect? Because I, I find that a lot of people who work in the film industry, if they start doing one thing, they eventually want to branch out and do others. You know, I think mm -hmm. the most famous example is probably Ron Howard, who started as an actor and now is one of the best directors in Hollywood. Yeah. What made you want specifically to branch out into producing? And can you talk to the listeners a little bit about what goes into the role of being a producer? Because I feel yeah. like the business side of film is something that's not talked about a whole lot. So uh, yeah, talk to me about that. Yeah. So first I just say that creative people, and I think people in general, but everyone's creative in some capacity, but creative people in general, I think tend to be people with their hand in multiple 
things, right? Um, so I think it's a natural inclination for people who are creative to want to explore and do other things and figure out how other things are working within the bigger picture. Um, so, I mean, honestly, I started producing uh, out of necessity. I was like, well, I want to make this film and I have this limited budget. I guess I'll, I can do the logistics part. And then I fell in love with it along the way. So um, it was sort of out of necessity at first and then I got into it. Um, and then just to talk to like the business aspects of it, I, I mean, a producer is like the CEO of the film. I mean, like maybe the COO, we'll say it's say it that way, where you're really bringing everything together, making sure everything runs smoothly. Um, and we're ta I'm talking like executive producer, and there are so many variations of different kinds of producers, ones that are more focused on making sure you stay on budget, ones the line producer, um, ones that are, you know, solely the money people and bringing in funding and focusing on that. And then the others that are creative. So they're more talking with story and collaborating in that way. So there's, you can be so many different kinds of producers um, and it is very, um, not nebulous, but um, but basically, essentially the, the show doesn't go without the producer and the producer is the one who finds and curates and makes sure that all of the right people are hired in the right position. So, you know, while the director is responsible for executing a vision, it's really the director and the producer collaborating to find the right people for the job and the producer getting the things that the director really needs to do their job well. Um, and so, you know, there's a creative vision that happens the writer has a concept of what this is going to be. The producer likes it for a certain reason and they take on the project. The director, maybe the director is a combination of one of those people. You know, I'm just, everybody comes in at a different stage depending on the project, but uh, the director has then a vision of how they want to execute it. Um, and the thing is inevitably, because we're all human, those visions are going to be totally different. They're not going to be, they might be similar. And so it's going to be a great, working relationship. But I think that's what the magic is, is every time, you know, I have a vision of how something's going to turn out. But then the second I start collaborating with people, it shifts and grows and becomes this new thing that I always think is 10 times better than what our initial daydream about the thing might be. So I think the important part about being a producer is making sure you have um, a pulse on what's happening in the world and what's happening in the business and how what you're making is going to be, you know, why you want to make it. Obviously, the story is a reason, but then does it have a place in the market too? Um, and then how to actually deliver and make that happen. So that's my long summary of what a producer does. Well, no, it, it's important for those who work in the industry or want to work in the industry to know that because it's more than just writing a script and shooting a film. You know, there's financing there's distribution there's so many other things that go into just what i call like the top layer of a film you know like putting pen to paper and writing the idea down or writing the story down so i, I it's, it's important for people to know so no that that's good thank you for for sharing that yeah of course no i really do think um that magic happens when people come together to execute something and um yeah and and also when things go the same thing theater right like when you forget your line or something goes off or someone the props fall off the table that's when you're on a film set and it's like okay well we have two hours and we have six setups what are we going to do that's when really cool stuff starts to happen if everybody's working in conjunction together um the actors included it's like that's when the cool stuff that's that's when you make magic Yep, absolutely. And it's, it's always great to see people come together because I, I tell I say this ad nauseum, my favorite aspect of filmmaking is the collaboration and the networking you might get, even yeah. if it's a small crew for an indie short, you have these people, they might come from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different opinions, but mm -hmm. they all come together to make a film happen. Yeah. And to me, that's, I say it takes a village to to make a film, but sometimes, you know, I, I look at filmmaking as a miracle in some way, because you look at all that has to go into it in order for even a short to happen. Oh, my so God. It's, 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 
it's yeah. miraculous. It is. It is that anything ever gets done that <laughs> um, there was this great like meme going around on Instagram or something recently. And it was like, like budding, budding filmmakers. Oh, well, being critical and tearing apart this thing. And I didn't like the way they did that. And then it's like, it's like producer who's made or like filmmaker who's made anything. Oh, my God, it's a miracle it even happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's all until you really get your hands in there, you don't realize how much effort goes into getting this big, huge film to take off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's talk about, you mentioned it earlier, the web series, Stupid Cupid. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell me a little bit about what Stupid Cupid is about and your role in, in the series. Yeah, absolutely. So Stupid Cupid is about four best friends who create a dating app to save modern love, but they're all really terrible at, mod at, at love. I love <laughs> so it already. The worst people for the job, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And so um, they wind up breaking the app and then running around New York City to try and figure out what is and isn't working in both the app and their love lives. So uh, the genesis for this was my own bad dating stories and my own, you know, experiences of being a single woman in New York. And, um, you know, they were always my like cocktail party jokes like, oh, can you believe this ridiculous thing? This. I went to the Met and this guy was super creepy and kind of, it was hilarious and I got out and it was fine. Um, and um, it was always the thing that I would tell that dinner parties would make people laugh. And then they would counter with their crazy dating stories and then, or something that they heard that a friend went through. And so I was like, God, there's something there. There's a universal truth here. And then simultaneously, as I started to do research, I was finding out a lot about just the bias in the way that these dating apps are, it's not even the dating apps fault necessarily, but like, you know, user preferences and the bias that people have and all the science behind how these algorithms are created. And I was like, oh, okay. Cause I was trying to understand online dating and process it for myself <laughs> because I was finding it difficult to do. So out of that was born this show. And I also really wanted to create a place um, that looked like my group of friends. So it was people, different cultural backgrounds, different gender identities and sexual orientations. Um, and so, and it was very important to me to show people with different experiences navigating love in 2020, 2021. And, um, and then that was the show. And we uh, submitted for a grant and got a ton of funding from that. And um, thank you, shout out to NIFA and MOM for their wonderful generosity for female filmmakers. If anyone's in the New York area and um, they wanna make a film in New York, submit for that grant. Uh, film, music, TV, theater, it's a whole bunch of different creative things for that grant. So, and then we were off to the races. Well, and I think what's great about the story from what you're telling me is that it touches on a lot of people like watching film, watching TV to get that sense of relatability. Mm. You know, at times I watch is an escape from reality, but also there are times that I like to watch something that, you know, kind of makes you think like, oh, I could see this actually happening in mm -hmm. real life or even if something sounds so crazy and ridiculous. Yeah. that you could still see it happening. So I, I think touching on things like, you know, modern dating in 2020, 2021 is, is a really cool concept. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, real life is truly stranger than fiction. And, yes. <laughs> um, and some of the stories I've heard just like, are just like, I never could have even conceptualized this in my, <laughs> in my <laughs> mind. People are interesting. Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about the specifics of of making the series. So you yeah. you get the you get the grant. Mm -hmm. Where do you go from there? Do you then start casting and finding a crew? Yeah, so we um, it actually started. So I created this proof of concept right when I started my started dating my now long term boyfriend Yaroslav Altunin, who's also the show's co writer and director. Um, so. It was funny, I was going through this whole journey with developing the show sort of solo, and then the thing started to take off when I was in a relationship, so it's very funny. Um, but um, so he actually helped out on set when we were, I just wanted to pull some, the concept together in a proof of concept, and then that video was used to 
pitch this to the grant people. Um, so, um, so Yara was instrumental in helping kind of, I mean, it was the first time I'd written something. He's a very talented screenwriter. And so our powers combined and we created a script that could actually be filmed. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have done it without him. Um, <clears throat> he's instrumental in creating structure and readability and, <laughs> and performability. Um, so we, um, we got the grant and then we're LA based funnily enough, but I have tons of contacts in New York and I had lived there before. So, um, yeah, we, we crewed up, we, um, pulled, pulled resources and found locations. I got all of our locations for free. Um, except for one, I did have to pay for one. Um, so it was a bunch of research from here. And then we had a, a ticking clock because we had to deliver the series by March of 2020. Um, so we knew we had to get the show going and we wanted to launch it. Um, and, um, no, it was, I'm sorry. Yes, I believe March of, hold on. Anyway, uh, I, I forget the timelines, but um, basically we had a ticking clock. We needed to film. Um, oh, no, wait, it was March of 2021. I'm sorry. 2020 just feels like a, a year that didn't ex <laughs> exist. It has an asterisk by it. I know, right? It's like, <laughs> no, we're just in 2021. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I've decided that I'm having my birthday again this year because it's just rude. I was yeah. like, as, I'm, I'm as, as one should. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so anyway, we, we were supposed to deliver in 2021 and we were, it had to be made available to the public and all this stuff. And we wanted to do a festival circuit. So we were like, OK, we're filming in the fall of um, 2019. We got the grant in March of 2019. We filmed in the fall um, and we had to do a little bit of extra. We had to round out the budget a little bit because we got um, I'm happy to talk about $16,000. And then we had to round that out a little bit more uh, with some crowdfunding. And so with that, um, you know, we had done the proof of concept with some L.A. actors um, who I mean, that the chemistry was so magical with them. Um, so I wanted to make sure to keep the same players if possible. Um, and I'm an actor in the show. I'm, I play Alex, who's the CEO of Stupid Keep It The App. Um, and so everybody, I asked them if they wanted to be a part and they were super excited about it and came with us to New York. Um, and sweet Joanna had never been to New York. It was her first trip. So she like navigated the subway all by herself. Um, anyway, so, um, and I was lucky to know a lot of really talented actors in New York. So there were only a couple roles we had to create an uh, actor's access, you know, breakdown for, um, for those characters. Uh, and then, you know, we came out in a perfect world. I would have had a little bit more pre-pro in New York, but out of necessity, we only had two weeks in advance. And so we were locking locations and all of that stuff um, two weeks before we started production in September. And then it was like late September. And then we wrapped in early October, I believe. So, yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, it actually sounds like a really cool series. Uh, is there any way for um, people to watch it or is it available online? Yeah, so we're we're screening at Dances with Films uh, uh, in Los Angeles at the Chinese Theater uh, on the 28th, and we just wrapped up um, the Seoul Web Fest. We were nominated for Best Comedy there. Um, we are um, going to launch on NYC Media. The date is uh, pending, so I'm very excited about this. This is a 60-time Emmy award-winning uh, television channel, and that will come out um, date pending. Um, late September, early October, I believe. And then in conjunction with, with that, we're planning on launching on YouTube. But for uh, updates and where to watch and stuff, stay tuned to our Instagram uh, at stupidcupidus and also our website, www.stupidcupidus. It's a weird website. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard of a .us before. That's interesting. Yeah. That's well, cool, though. .com was taken, so I was like... Yeah. I could do dot TV, but I, I, then the Instagram handle, I was like, well, let's just have them all match. Yeah. No, as, as someone who does social media for the show and everything, it's important to have consistent names. So you're like, oh, well, it's Facebook is this, but Twitter's that. And then Instagram no. something completely different. And then you yeah. just confuse everybody. And they're like, you know what? We're not going to follow you. So yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, <laughs> do you have any other projects uh, coming up that you'd like to talk about? 
Yeah, I mean, I have stuff in development and stuff that um, we're working on our new project. Um, Yaroslav does awesome sci-fi stuff. Um, and so we're working on our next project. Um, I believe it's going to be called Yggdrasil. So uh, it's going to be a time travel-y thing. Um, so we're working on that. And that's probably um, going to be a 2022 situation. So more things coming up there. And then I have some other things in my back pocket for features and stuff that are going to be in the next, you know, out there in the future. So, and as far as stupid Cupid, we're going to see how this whole festival run goes. We'd love to have a season two. We'd love to keep growing the show. I'm very passionate about, um, keeping the love alive with stupid Cupid. <laughs> and, um, and I think, you know, it has a lot of fun stuff to say, so we'll see what happens. Absolutely. I, I always like to ask this to, to kind of wrap up the interview. Uh, it's normally I ask what advice you would have for an aspiring filmmaker, but in mentioning your producing and getting a grant for, uh, for Stupid Cupid, I, I got to ask, what advice would you give to anyone who is looking to secure funding for their project? Oh, yeah. So I'm really passionate about helping other filmmakers. And I have like a one sheet that I created about crowdfunding and grant writing. So if you're at all curious about this and how to do it, um, I will, I'm happy to send you my one sheet that I have about where to find grants and how to do grants. Um, so just find me on Instagram, Sarah at Sarah Randall Hunt, and I'm happy to send that over to you. Um, I, I, we couldn't have made this show happen without the grant. I'm so grateful for the uh, Women in Film, TV, and Theater Fund because without that, Stupid Cupid, the effort in raising the money would have been that much harder. Um, I think crowdfunding is an excellent resource, especially for early filmmakers to, but there's also, uh, you have to be strategic about it. So, um, so that's the first thing I'd say, if you want resources around that, um, I'm happy to provide them. There's so many grants and so many that, could fit based on the message of the show that you're trying to create or the, the film. Um, and then also who you are and who your crew and your cast is. Um, so highly recommend that. Um, other advice, I think just, you know, I think it takes time to realize that it's not all like, Oh no. Oh God. Ah! <laughs> it's like whatever you can do to sort of not panic <laughs> is things are no from the onset. Uh, if this is your first film that you're making or first project, something's going to go wrong. And just to have faith that you can get through it and that you have the resources and the ability to move and make an even better thing than you could even anticipate by experiencing that. And I think, you know, just the more flexible and fluid you can be as a creative person, uh, like the world's going to happen. And if you're, if you're going with it, you're going to have a lot better time. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> uh, you you had mentioned Instagram. Uh, do you have any other website or social media you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? Um, my website is under construction because I just got new headshots. So eventually it will be sarahrandallhunt.com. Um, but just Instagram is mostly where you can find me. Um, yeah, at Sarah Randall Hunt. Fantastic. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me here on the show. And I look forward to checking out Stupid Cupid. Thanks, Derek. Thanks so much for your time. And it's nice to nice to be here and talk to all your lovely people. Thanks again to Sarah Randall Hunt for that awesome conversation. Be sure to follow her on Instagram and check out Stupid Cupid to find out when and where you'll be able to watch it. And also thank you to those who submitted your top five list for top five movies of the 2000s. But we have one more thing to talk about before we end the show this week. And it's funny because I had actually already recorded the outro when I learned that the trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home dropped yesterday as I'm recording this. And I had to come back and talk about it. I couldn't wait another week because of all the Marvel movies that are coming out over the next couple of years, this might be number one, not just because I'm a big Spider-Man fan, but all the rumors that have been going on for months upon months about you know, incorporating the multiverse, bringing back Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, uh, Jamie Foxx's Electro. Uh, 
I I had to to check it out. And part of me at this point in time, part of me was thinking, don't even release a trailer. Just do a simple poster to promote it and that be the end of it. That way people have to go in kind of cold as far as, you know, what's going to happen and what may not happen because there's been so many rumors that have been going around about it. But I decided to watch the trailer and I have to admit, I'm happy that I watched it because it just built that anticipation for the movie. And without going into every single specific of what's what's going on in the trailer, I should say, you know, we see that Doctor Strange is going to play a pivotal role in the film. Uh, Peter's having to deal with the fallout of everyone knowing that he's Spider-Man with the revelation that happened at the end of Far From Home. He goes to Doctor Strange and says that he wants everyone to forget that he's Spider-Man because he can't go anywhere. He can't go to school. He can't go out in public without people you know, filming him, taking pictures of him, whatever the case may be. Well, so Doctor Strange agrees to help, which I find to be a little strange because he, see what I did there? No pun intended. But um, he just seemingly agrees to help Peter, which I found to be interesting because of him going through all the different outcomes of Infinity War and only wanting to do certain things to achieve the specific outcome. Now, there's obviously going to be more of the story, but I thought the way they put the trailer together was very interesting in that regard. We see that the spell goes wrong and chaos comes from there. And obviously, the multiverse is going to play a huge part in this movie. But I got to talk about the end with hearing the goblin laugh and seeing the the familiar bomb from the original Spider-Man movie that the Green Goblin would use. That and the end with Alfred Molina's Doc Ock showing up and saying, hello, Peter. I just, I geeked the F out after that happened because I'm, I'm such a big fan of the original Spider-Man trilogy. Well, minus the third one. We'll say the first two movies. Those two movies will always hold a special place in my heart because I grew up a huge Spider-Man fan and seeing him on screen in live action for the first time was something that I'll never forget. The sequel to that movie, which features Alfred Molina's Doc Ock as the primary villain, is still to this day one of my favorite comic book movies of all time. So to see those two come back and then also the hint of Jamie Foxx's Electro being that he's not going to be exactly the same as he was in The Amazing Spider-Man, I think is really going to make for something special. Now, I hope they don't try to cram too much into this movie, and it seems like on paper they are, but I have the confidence that they'll be able to pull it off. You know, like Marvel has had many more hits than they have misses, and I know a lot of people are upset that they didn't show Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield in the trailer, but if they are in the movie, I'm glad that they didn't because to me that's something that we should see on screen for the first time watching it in a theater, watching the full movie. Like I, I want no reveal of those two until I see the movie because that's going to make it even more of a bigger deal. Like people are already going to go one because it's a Spider-Man movie and all we needed was the tease of the classic villains coming back in order to entice people. So I cannot wait for it. December 17th cannot get here soon enough. And I also have to throw out there, I think the de-aging on Alfred Molina looked fantastic. Some of the best de-aging technology that I think I've seen on screen. And he famously said that in an interview he did a few months ago where he basically let the cat out of the bag and said that you know he was going to be back and that he would be de-aged. But I cannot wait for this movie. It, it can't get here soon enough. And like I said, I didn't want to wait a full week to talk about the trailer and kind of break it down a little bit and give my thoughts on it. Because it, it just, I'm still on that emotional high from seeing the trailer. And I've watched it multiple times and I get, just as excited every time I watch it. So 
Definitely going to be doing a, a in-depth conversation about that movie when it comes out. It's late August, and I know December will be here before we know it, but it, it can't get here soon enough. So I wanted to throw that in there real quick before we ended today's show. But if you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. If you want to subscribe to the show, I'm on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor, Anywhere you get your podcast, just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you could, please leave a review. The more reviews I get, the more visible I become to the podcasting public. You can also find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. You can get early access to episodes, the chance to vote on show topics such as the top five, vote on the monthly watch-alongs that I do, so much more. Just be sure to check it out at patreon.com slash the Diamond Podcast. And of course, thank you to my good friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.